Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's never been easier to communicate with people, but it's never been harder to know which platform you're supposed to communicate on. Here's a simpler solution. With call, meet, and message all in one app, Ring Central makes communication easy. With all that connectivity in the palm of your hand, you can work from anywhere with anyone at any time and never miss a beat. Because when it comes to communication, simple is better. Learn more at ringcentral.com. Ring Central, simpler communications. Welcome to the MD's Fantasy Football Show. Now for your host, Dan Mater. And welcome back, MD Nation, to the MD's Fantasy Football Show. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater, and thank you all for tuning in today as we are streaming live like we always do on Facebook Live, on YouTube, on Sportscaster.com, and of course, on Periscope to via Twitter. And of course, you can always find us on your favorite podcast app, wherever you want to go, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, it does not matter, iTunes. We are available everywhere for you guys. And today we're going to be going over the coaching changes, fantasy impact part two. Just me today, no guests, and that's because I've been busy getting guests on the show for what's going to be in store for you guys beginning of next week. We'll be doing a new mini series that will last for over the eight weeks, and we're going to have a lot of great information for you. Make sure you watch and listen to this show all the way to the end, and I will let you guys know exactly what is going on there. Now, one thing we do want to start opening up soon, once this new mini eight-week series is going to be over starting next week, we want to get back back to the MD Nation hotline. We want to get back to the mailbag segment. We want to hear from you guys at MD Nation what your fantasy rants are, comments are, questions are, and what you need for your fantasy leagues for your informational purposes. And you can always do that by contacting the MD Nation hotline 609-362-2480 at any time of the day. Leave your message, leave your comment, leave your question, and we're going to play you on the show and talk about it here during the mailbag segment. Of course, you can always contact me on Twitter at MDSFFshow. Make sure you follow for the player news update notifications on Facebook, MDFFshow, or email the show directly, MDSFantasyFootball at gmail.com, and any one of those locations can get you on and eligible for the mailbag segment for this show. But let's go ahead and get into it today. Of course, we kick off every episode with our off-season notes. And this week, there's not a lot going on, as you would expect. We're post the draft here. We're in the May. But there are some rumors that are fantasy-relevant worth talking about. One of the big ones being that the Eagles have some interest, at the very least, with Carlos Hyde. Now, that makes a lot of sense to me. It was surprising to me that the Eagles did not draft a running back or had not addressed the running back position in its entirety this entire offseason. So I'm not surprised that they have some interest in Carlos Hyde. For those people who are ready to put Miles Sanders into the top 10, you're going to have to pump your brakes. And this is one of the reasons why I have not been as advocate on Miles Sanders being being an RB1 this season, having a top 10 performance, because I was pretty confident this entire time that we were going to see the Eagles add somebody at some point. Uh, and Carlos Hyde, to me, would make a lot of sense. They need a, they're need they looking for a bigger type of back because you have Miles Sanders, but backing him up, you have Boston Scott, who we all know is more of a pass-catching specialist. So getting a guy like Carlos Hyde who can do a lot of the first and second down work, who do some of the goal line work, do some of the brunt work, and take some of the more beating in those situations that you don't necessarily want Miles Sanders to take because of the fact that he is not really built for 300 touches. He's not really built to take all that punishment all the time. And I think that's something the Eagles have been worried about this entire time. I know it's what I've been worried about this entire time. It's why I didn't have him in my top 10 as of right now. Now, of course, it's May and we're still working out the projections and rankings and it's early yet. But yeah, that that's a big reason why we knew the Eagles at some point were probably going to want to add somebody on. Now, this isn't this is just a rumor that they have interest. Nothing official has been done as of recording this podcast on Friday, May the 15th. However, that doesn't mean it's not going to happen soon. By the time you listen to this podcast, even it might be done. So that's that's something you have to kind of keep in mind. So wait on your Miles Sanders value, wait on your Miles Sanders love until we exactly figure out what the running back situation is going to be. But even if it doesn't wind up being Carlos Hyde, 
I do think it's going to be somebody, whether it be a Lamar Miller, whether it be a Devontae Freeman, somebody along those lines, I believe, is going to be joining this Eagle running back uh, backfield at some point this summer. So something to kind of keep in mind, especially if you're in dynasty leagues and you're looking at this season and you're trying to do everything you possibly can in your power, the trade for Miles Sanders, you might want to think twice or at least think twice about the value that you're willing to give up in that situation because of that. So just something to kind of keep in mind, a quick little tidbit there. Uh, my analysis on this is if they were to sign Carlos Hyde, my expectation would be that he would be mixed in. Miles Sanders still be the lead back, but it may be on a 60-40 type of split when it came to carries. And it, it might be a 60-40 split for Miles Sanders across the board because I could very easily see him, let's say it is Carlos Hyde. He splits the splits the carry, splits the yards, splits the touchdown 60-40 with Carlos Hyde, while the receiving work, he would probably split about 60-40 with Boston Scott. So making him the lead dog, but he's not going to be in the 70-80% category of getting the amount of touches out of this backfield that I think a lot of people wanted to see, and I think that he would need to achieve in order to actually be in the top 10, in order to be that RB1. I think you're talking about a guy who has a high-end RB2 uh, plausibility with him in the offense and, and things that he's able to do, but that would be about my ceiling for him. So something to kind of just keep in mind there. Outside of that, there's not a lot of news really to take in. There's some rumors about contract extensions with Deshaun Watson that he may be getting paid uh, soon. The rumors with Dak Prescott, he is you know one way or another. I talked about this a little bit uh, last week. He's going to play this season, whether it is on the franchise tag, whether he is on uh, on a contract extension at some point. He's going to play at some point this season, even if they don't get a long-term deal done. So we're not really worried about that from a Dak Prescott situation, but as far as when that contract is done, that's still very, very much up in the air. And that's pretty much about it as far as what was going on the past couple of weeks. So what we're going to do is I actually want to talk to you guys about a new sponsor that we have called Prop Me. And uh, what it is, it's a, a brand new innovative uh, gaming platform. And what they do is really interesting. It's really first of its kind. They make betting from person to person more easy than ever, designed for new and experienced gamblers alike. And what they do is it's just using straightforward prop bets. That can literally be created on anything. You want to bet on the next play will be, then create a prop. You want to bet on who's going to win that game of beer pong that you're playing with your friends, then create a prop. It takes hanging out with your friends to a whole new level. So join today by downloading the Prop Me app or go to PropMeLLC.com to check it out and join today. So that's a really cool feature that's coming out, and they are one of our new sponsors on the show. So definitely want to give them a big shout out. But let's dive into what we came here to talk about, which is the Coaching Changes Fantasy Impact and what we have designed for the, for today's show, it's actually not going to be as long of a show as it normally uh, is. We don't have as many to talk about. We talked about a lot of them last week, but we do have some teams that we need to cover. Uh, starting off with the Jacksonville Jaguars, of course, they hire Jay Gruden as their offensive coordinator heading into this season. Uh, and with that, we know we know what to expect out of Jay Gruden. I think at this point, like we have the years from Cincinnati that he's offensive coordinator from 2011 to 2013. Of course, he was the head coach for the Washington Redskins from 2014 to 2019. We know what to expect out of him, right? We know that he likes to run uh, a real good, ba- a balanced for balanced type of offense, base formations. Likes to have an actual one of the few guys who will actually use a fullback from time to time. Likes to have. A running game with a Thunderer, which he already has there with Leonard Fournette, but then he also likes to be able to use play action off of that. It's an old-style West Coast concept uh, that we have here for Jay Gruden coming into this situation. You have Gardner Minshew. You have DJ Chark. You have these guys who are have some decent weapons already in place. I like DJ Chark a lot, especially with Gardner Minshew going to be the starter this season. It's clear. Now, obviously, it's not the best move that the Jaguars want to make in order for them to actually win games. But from a fan's perspective, I kind of like it because I do like DJ Chark. And I think we can squarely put him in the wide receiver two conversation because we know the rapport that Minshew and Chark have with one another when they're out there on the field. This doesn't change that. Gruden has the history with AJ Green, with uh, Terry McLaurin. I'm not, not, well, not necessarily Terry McLaurin last year, but with the Redskins, whoever their number one wide receiver is, was always a fairly productive wide receiver. He's good at featuring that one one wide receiver in his offense. That one wide receiver to me should be DJ Chark. Now, outside of that, I don't see them being in a situation where they're going to spread the ball out quite as much. Think about the Russian Redskins in 2018. Obviously, you can't take a lot of what that happened in 2019 because Gruden wound up getting fired uh, halfway through the year. So you kind of have to take last year, throw it out. Think back two years, 2018 to the Washington Redskins, what they did there. 
using a heavy dose of Adrian Peterson to keep the offense moving, trying to just move the chains, not looking for a ton of big plays, being methodical down the field. That's exactly what I expect Jay Gruden to want to do with the Jacksonville Jaguars this season, which is why I'm not a huge fan necessarily of D.D. Westbrook. Never really was, but I think at this point, consistency is out the window. You're not going to get consistent production out of him from a week-to-week basis, and if they're not going to be a spread offense... I, I question how much he's really going to be involved because D.D. Westbrook, to me, thrives best when he's in a spread type of offense where he can play the slot. And while Jay Gruden doesn't necessarily have a history where he doesn't utilize the slot, that's not going to be the go-to guy. It's that number one perimeter wide receiver, which is D.J. Chark. Now, of course, they drafted LaVisca Chenault, but I don't expect LaVisca Chenault as a rookie to have a huge impact. And under Jay Gruden's offense, doesn't typically allow rookies to have big impacts under his offense if he has the choice to be able to be, a, to, to be made there. So to me, Chark fits what he wants to be able to do. He'll fit that old A.J. Green role when he was the offensive corner for Cincinnati Bengals. He'll use him in the deep threat. He'll use him in the red zone. But that is the only wide receiver who I'm going to feel any confidence with within this system. Minshew may be a stream guy. We did see there was a few weeks last year he was able to be a stream guy. This offense, I don't know this offense totally fits him. That's kind of where the question is because I think Minshew thrives better if he's in a more spread it out system. Let him run around. Let him try to make a play type of deal. I do think in theory, though, if Gruden truly gets back to the fundamentals of his offense, which is ground and pound, use a few bootleg West Coast uh, play action type of system, Minshew could do that pretty well. That's going to be the question. Does he get back to that? And even then, we're still talking about Minshew strictly, strictly as a streaming type of option for you on a week-to-week basis, depending upon uh, who they're playing. For Leonard Fournette, it's a, it's a double-edged sword, right? Because you have to keep in mind that they signed Chris Thompson. And Chris Thompson, with the history that he has with Drake Gruden, if he's healthy on the field, there's no reason in my mind that Chris Thompson is not going to be involved as the passing down specialist moving forward. Uh, Leonard Fournette proved last year that he could do it all. If you gave him all the touches, he could he could handle it. He got through the season, I would say, m- remarkably healthy for a guy who had injury history coming into this season and then was put in a situation where he was literally on the field, I mean, all the time. And so it was very impressive at that point. And because he wasn't able to convert at the normal touchdown rate that a player usually in his situation with the amount of touches that he has converts at, it was those extra touches. It was the fact that he was involved in the passing game that kept him at that high-end RB2, low-end RB1 category from week to week. You weren't getting huge weeks, but you were getting in that territory because of what he brought to the table because of why he was getting so much volume. I don't know if that's going to be the case now that they signed Chris Thompson. It's a bigger deal than I think people really wanted to make it out of. Yes, Chris Thompson's had some injury issues, and that could come to play. And if he's out, then yeah, Leonard Fournette's going to take over. I'm not worried about Rykel Armstead really making any kind of impact. I'm not worried about anybody else in that depth chart really making any kind of impact as far as getting in the way of Leonard Fournette having you know almost 100% of the touches if there's no Chris Thompson. So it's only Thompson that I would be worried about, but because it's Jay Gruden, because it's Thompson, I do believe starting week one, it will be Thompson on third and five and longer, on two-minute drills, on on in situations where they're trying to come back from behind in the second halves. I do think we're going to see a healthy amount. I do think that's the game plan for Jay Gruden moving forward. I think that's why they brought him in. So that is that is going to factor in. I think you're going to see a significant dip now in Leonard Fournette's production from the receiving end. Now, on the flip side of that, if he's able to just convert on the average rate per carry that – in the NFL is out there that he should be able to convert on as you know a big powerful back that he is and hopefully that offensive line is able to stay a little bit more healthy that'll go a long way in being able to do that then he could still very well finish as a low-end RB1 high-end RB2 if he gets those touchdowns that he should have reached because he should have had at least nine touchdowns last season he should have so if he's able to get that it'll make up the difference but he has to be able to convert on those situations I don't think that guaranteed volume especially in the passing game especially talking PPR leagues half point PPR leagues is necessarily going to be there now under this coaching regime, the fact that they brought in Chris Thompson. So something to kind of keep in mind when you're looking at Leonard Fournette, to me, his value did drop back a little bit where I'm no longer really considering him in the second round because there's going to be some question marks there. Uh, Moving on, though, we got the Dallas Cowboys. With them, there's not as much to talk about, right? Yeah, Mike McCarthy comes in, but it's not really much different than Jason Garrett from what we saw a season ago because last year we saw Kellen Moore calling the plays. We're We're going to see Kellen Moore calling the plays again this season, if there is going to be a change in, in any schematic way, it would be a little bit more towards the passing because that's McCarthy's background from that West Coast style. 
But we kind of already knew that the second they drafted C.D. Lamb in the first round anyway. We kind of already knew that the second they gave Amari Cooper a $20 million contract to stay on the team. Uh, and just kind of the way things played out last year. So it, now, don't get me twisted. Me saying that, I'm, Ezekiel Elliott is still going to thrive in this offense. It's still going to be, you know, Zeke's, it's still going to be Zeke's backfield uh, first and foremost. And Mike McCarthy does have a history of good featured running backs being able to put up excellent production. Plus, Zeke is a superstar. So I don't think anybody's really worried about that. Travis Frederick retiring, I don't think is as big a deal for Zeke's purposes as some people have made it out to be because Travis Frederick really didn't play much last year anyway. So you're not, I don't think you're actually missing a ton from what we've gotten to see. So I don't think that's going to be an issue either. Uh, really, for me, just is the coaching change, is the head coaching change that means very, very little actually from a fantasy perspective because they kept the offensive coordinator and he's come out and said that Kellen Moore is going to be the play caller. Now, does that go for the whole season? I don't know. Mike McCarthy does have a history of pointing somebody being the play caller and then by week six taking it back over and then maybe giving it up again and taking it back over. He kind of does like the Andy Reid thing with that sometimes with, with play calling. I will say this, uh, Kellen Moore is an up-and-coming name, especially after last season. He was expected to move on if he was not going to be allowed to call the plays. So I do think there's a bit of more of an emphasis that McCarthy's going to have to have some patience in this situation for him. Otherwise, I don't know I don't, I don't know that that's really going to change hands as much. So there's, there's more of an emphasis to keep the playbook in Kellen Moore's hands throughout the year. And if he does what he did in the beginning of the season, if you remember the first four or five weeks in particular – using a lot of motion, getting a lot of mismatches. And when you add C.D. Land to Michael Gallup and Amari Cooper, you're going to be able to get even more mismatches around the field. You're going to line up Amari Cooper even more so in the slot. I would not be surprised if the Dallas Cowboys became a predominant three-receiver base formation set team. And that wouldn't hurt Zeke. It would keep guys out of the box. Can you imagine Zeke with only six, seven guys in the box right now? So, look, sky's the limit for the Dallas Cowboys, mostly because they kept Kellen Moore in place. And that's why I have confidence in that. If it's not Mike McCarthy throwing the ball, then I don't have to worry about what we saw out of Mike McCarthy towards the end of his tenure in Green Bay, which was a very predictable offense, a very an offense that was very easy to cover because he did nothing to create mismatches. He did nothing to try to get his players out in space. He would line them up one-on-one, tell them to go beat the guy when they couldn't get off the line of scrimmage. He did no adjustments off of that, but because he's not going to be the offensive play caller, I'm not as concerned about it at the end of the day. This next guy, though, this is a huge fantasy impact, especially with the offseason that they just had, and that's the Denver Broncos with Pat Shermer. This was huge absolutely huge on every single level that you could possibly think of because they when they went out there and they were able to add Jerry Judy and then they add KJ Hamler they already had Cortland Sutton in place they added Melvin Cord in the offseason you already had Philip Lindsay in place and we'll see what happens with Royce Freeman he, he might get cut who knows you have a ton of weapons I have been on the show I have been big on making it known to everybody who will listen that I am not a Julak fan at all in any kind of way I don't think he's accurate I don't think he's good I think he has an arm that he can throw it down the field, and that's about it. I think he's a statue in the pocket, and I don't think he redefenses that great after his first read. I have a lot of issues with Drew Locke. Here's what I will say, and I don't necessarily think that Drew Locke's still going to be great, but here's what I will say. The caveat is Pat Shermer has done more with less at the quarterback position throughout his coaching career, especially as an offensive coordinator. And I mean, the biggest one, the most recent one that has to stick out to everybody would be Case Keenum, right? Case Keenum, a journeyman quarterback throughout his entire career, comes in and Pat Shermer is able to turn him into a borderline star for at least a season. So I'll give him that caveat because of Shermer, because the weapons that they have in place, it's possible that Drew Locke winds up being a real thing at the quarterback position for fantasy purposes. It's possible. It's, I'm not going to argue with anybody who wants to make Drew Locke their sleeper for the year because it makes sense on those levels. This is what I will say to that, though. Drew Locke is not an accurate quarterback. The quarterbacks that Pat Shermer has been able to get more out of less with have predominantly been more accurate, more rhythm-based type of quarterbacks. A la Case Keenum and some other guys the name that he's that he doesn't quarterbacks with big arms isn't something that he's totally worked with. Even the job that Pat Shermer did with Daniel Jones last year, I think, should be taken into consideration too. Those type of quarterbacks who have maybe above average arm strength to average arm strength, but are more about throwing the ball to a spot more about getting in the timing, getting in the rhythm with Pat Shermer's, his type of West Coast system is heavily based on timing. 
And I don't know that Drew Locke has that. I don't think he has the accuracy. I don't think he has the timing down. He's got a long way to go. Obviously, this will be his first full season going in as a starter. His second year, he didn't get to play that much in his rookie year. I understand all that. He could still develop, sure. But I have a lot of questions. It's very, very rare that I see a guy who's inaccurate in college be accurate in the pros. And that's why I harp on that wholeheartedly. But Pat Shermer has worked miracles in the past, so it's possible. And having said that, because that offense is going to need to run, they have so many weapons, and I think Pat Shermer is the perfect type of system for all of these pieces in place, I'm not worried about Cortland Sutton's fantasy value. I'm not worried about Jerry Judy's fantasy value. I'm not worried about Noah Fan's fantasy value. I'm not worried about Melvin Gordon's fantasy value. A little concerned about Philip Lindsay. I'm a, Philip Lindsay, here, here's the trick with that. Pat Shermer... Everybody wants to talk about the fact that Pat Shermer has a long history of having a one featured back, which is true. My caveat to that would be, I don't know that I can remember a time he had two good running backs like this where he has in Melvin Gordon, and then he also has in Philip Lindsay. Philip Lindsay has had too good of a career so far throughout his first two seasons heading into his third this year to simply just be second fiddle to Melvin Gordon. I mean, flat out. I don't think there's a situation that Melvin Gordon's going to see 300 touches here. I think we're going to see a 60-40 split. That's what I think we're going to see between Melvin Gordon and Philip Lindsay and probably you know, across the board. Uh, as far as receiving goes, I think it's going to be a little bit tricky. I still like Philip Lindsay a lot as far as a receiver, but because he does... Because he does seem to be a liability when it comes to the blocking game, I wouldn't be surprised if Melvin Gordon does wind up dominating that a little bit more. I think in my projections, my rankings, I'm still going to have them set at a 60-40 split all across the board between the rushing, between the receiving categories and everything there. But that is a that is a consideration that is a variable to kind of have to keep in mind. But I don't think this is going to be a Pat Shermer offense from the past where it's just that one running back gets... 70 to 80 percent of all the general work and then there's just a clear backup that's not going to be the case here with philip Lindsay. so a lot of people who've been trying to boost up melvin gordon to i've seen this in the top 12 at the very least top 15 i don't think top 15 is out of the question i don't think necessarily top 12 is out of the question but i'm not going to be super confident and and trying to advocate and make that argument that that's where he needs to be i think that territory is somewhere we could wind up at after once we're done all the rejections and going through everything but Phil Lindsay is going to be more involved than I think people realize. And right now, I consistently see Melvin Gordon going in that second round. I would feel a lot more comfortable if we're getting him in the third round because I don't think you're getting a running back who's just going to dominate the touches there. So that's something to me that I think you need to be able to consider, even with Pat Shermer, even with, yes, the history that he has of being primarily a coach who wants to use that one featured running back. I understand that. But this is a different type of situation for that. Like I said, Sutton, Judy, I don't think you have anything to worry about there. Judy's going to run mostly from the slot. He's going to move him move him around. He's gonna, I mean, he's going to move them both. This is going to be an Adam Thielen, Stephon Diggs situation when he was the offensive coordinator. It's going to be a 1A, 1B situation, I believe. Maybe by year two. This year should be Cortland Sutton's year. He's, he deserves it. He'll be, the, he'll be that X factor. These are both guys who are going to be... Well, I should say this. Sutton's going to be a solid wide receiver, too, because he's also going to get utilized in the red zone. Judy's still a rookie, but he's probably one of the most pro-ready rookies we've ever seen with the ability, with the route-running ability that he has. So he's, he's going to start. He's going to be out on the field. The only one that kind of gets left out here is K.J. Hamler. I mean, there's just too many mouths to feed. You still have Noah Fant that we have to talk about, uh, his involvement, which I think will be, I think he'll be a top-10 tight end. Uh, I don't think you're talking about a top-five go, because there's, there's, there's too many question marks that I have for Drew Locke and there's a lot of mouths to feed with those two things in the combination I don't know how consistent Noah Fant's going to be he still needs to improve a lot on his his on his hands on his consistent receiving ability uh, but he has that big playability and he's going to have one-on-ones because of the weapons that he has around him so he's going to have some big games for you he's going to be that guy that you're going to start every single week because he's a tight end and it's very rare to find a tight end who can do this who might be able to actually win you a week single-handedly because of the big plays that he's able to put together. That's what you had to take in consideration with him. But Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home 
is where your heart is, so they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. I don't see him as a top five guy either because the, the hands are consistently, it's a factor. And the fact that you have Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy, who I think are going to eat before Noah Fant does, has to also come into play there too. But this is a great fit. All these guys, sky's the limit. They're in the perfect system to all get open, to all get mismatches, to all get their turn. Pat Shermer is the best at divvying out uh, opportunities to multiple weapons uh, really in the game. So I thought that was a great hire. It was a great move. The question's really going to be Drew Locke. If Drew Locke plays great, then all of them will be able to reach their ceilings. If not, then they'll all be solid. Sutton will be solid. Judy will be solid. Gord will be solid. Fant will be solid. But they're not necessarily going to get into that upper tier that I think a lot of people are excited for and know that their talent uh, could result in. So that's kind of where I'm at there with Pat Shermer, with the Broncos, what you can expect uh, for them. Moving on to our next team here, we have to talk about is the Browns. And this is a big one that I want to talk about. Now, one, obviously, change the head coach. Uh, you, you technically brought an offensive coordinator, but we all know Kevin Stefanski is going to be the play caller. There's no... There's no questions there. There's no, yeah, you're fine there. Um, so you have to go out with Kevin Stefanski. Now, everyone gets very, very excited, right? I, and I think Stefanski, if he's going to bring to a T what they ran with Gary Kubiak's influence last year in Minnesota, it fits the Cleveland Browns perfectly. And this is somebody I had to come around on. I was not a big Kevin Stefanski fan at, at, uh, at all. Uh, not not big on the hire. I thought one year, having one good year as an offensive coordinator with an offense that predominantly had a lot of concepts from the offensive consultant, which was Gary Kubiak at the time, not necessarily from the coordinator. And I thought hiring as a head coach was a little bit of a stretch. I've come around on that, though, because of the players that Cleveland has in place, because of some of the moves they made this offseason, and because Kevin Stefanski, what some of their moves this offseason has has indicated to me about what Stefanski is really going to want to do. So when they brought in Austin Hooper and they were wanting to pair him up with David Njoku and right away they're talking about how they want to use their two tight end sets, that was pretty much what confirmed for me that Stefanski was definitely going to want run exactly the system that they ran last year. Not that I didn't think that they weren't going to run concepts of that before, but Stefanski comes from a background where he wants to throw the ball a little bit more than what they actually did in Minnesota a season ago. Uh, and he comes from a little bit more a similar mindset as far as the schematic goes to the West Coast, but kind of like a Sean McVay in a sense of Sean McVay runs a, actually runs a very similar system to that Shanahan type of system. It's that zone scheme run, the play action bootlegs, the play action uh, moving the pocket. That's all based off of that system. But obviously, Sean McVay takes it more from the, the passing focus aspect of it, playing the levels of the field, getting those guys open, throwing the ball a little bit more, playing with more three receivers. And, and that might change this year. And we've talked about that. But when he came into the league, that's what he was predominantly known for. It's a similar scheme, but just more of a focus on the passing aspect of it than the running aspect of it. That's where Kevin Stefanski really comes from. So that's why I questioned what was he really going to do? Because I think the Browns... Frankly, I think they need to be a run first team. I think they need to set up play action as their as their base, you know, their base passing concepts for Baker Mayfield. I think Baker Mayfield is athletic enough to be able to be utilized in moving the pocket and rolling out. I think that's something he would actually excel out, especially with the weapons that they have in place. And when they signed Austin Hooper, it just kind of confirmed to me that he really does want to just replicate what he did in Minnesota, which I think is great. I think it fits everybody really perfectly. I think it fits Odell Beckham perfectly, who's going to get moved all around the field. He's going to be uh, utilized more, not so much for his big playability, but for his route running ability. And I think that's what Beckham needs to do. You need to use Beckham in a possession receiver type of role and know that he has the ability to explode off of that. Because what was happening a lot last year is that they were trying to get back on the ball in different situations, but how banged up he was, we, we don't 100% know. And the offense was just kind of all over the place. But basically it melted down to the same thing where they were trying to get back on the ball, but it was either a bubble screen or they're trying to get him the ball deep down the field. There was, there was no real in-between here. Stefanski is going to have him run the in-between. He's going to have him do the slants. He's going to have him line up in the slot. He's going to have him run the curls. He's going to have him run the outs. You're going to have some of the back shoulder fades too, obviously, as, uh, along with that. You're going to have some of the posts that go off of that. But if you're going to utilize Beckham's full route running tree ability in a West Coast style system, it fits him to a T because now he'll be allowed 
to set up defenders the way he wants to throughout the game. And that's when you're going to get the best out of Beckham. And it's going to be an offense where you're going to be able, designed to feed him more. Along with Jarvis Landry. We've seen Adam Thielen. We've seen Stephon Diggs. We've seen both of these guys be wide receiver ones and be high-end wide receiver twos by the time the season is over. Both Jarvis Landry and Beckham can eat here in this system. And that's with them, I think, what they should be doing. That's with them being predominantly a run-first offense with Nick Chubb. Now, here's what I want to touch on on Nick Chubb. A lot of people want to put him in the top 10. Again, this is a situation I don't nece- I'm not going to necessarily argue with you if you're going to put Nick Chubb in the top 10, but then I will throw this caveat out there. This idea that Chubb's going to run for 1,400 yards, which is where I see a lot of, I think is a little skewed because I think if you think he's running for 1,400 yards, then you must be discounting the impact that Kareem Hunt's going to have this season. Uh, plain, plain and simple. Kareem Hunt's not suspended this year, guys. I, I don't seem to really, I'm not fully comprehending people not remembering exactly how much Kareem Hunt was playing towards the end of last year. Now, is it a different coaching regime? Yes. Uh, in the limited time that we have to look at Kevin Stefanski, what has he shown you? That he'll go with one feature guy primarily. But Kareem Hunt is not Alexander Madison. He's not a rookie coming in to be a backup. Kareem Hunt arguably speaking, still has is still could be considered if he was a starting running back a more of a superstar than Nick Chubb. Arguably speaking, if he was starting somewhere else for another team, if he was still in the Kansas City Chiefs right now, Kareem Hunt would be viewed as a bigger superstar than Nick Chubb is. Right? I think we can all agree with that. So this isn't some guy who's just going to get pushed to the side and be the backup. We know that Kareem Hunt's probably going to dominate the receiving work. That's a big part of this offense. And he's going to probably dominate that. And I don't think he's just going to go away. Honestly, what I think, what I think, well, at least here's what I'll say. What I think the smart thing for Stefanski to do would be, and I lean towards this being the real reality of the situation, is having Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt being on a rotating series basis. You're not going to have Kareem Hunt take over. This is going to be this is going to be Nick Chubb first. Kareem Hunt's not going to take over the job because it's clear that Kareem Hunt's not in Cleveland's long-term plans the way Nick Chubb is, for obvious reasons. This might be the last year that we see Kareem Hunt on the Cleveland Browns, but. Having said all that, it's still Kareem Hunt. You're still going to use him. So if you use him on a series-by-series basis, imagine, if you will, Kyle Shanahan via the Atlanta Falcons, Devontae Freeman, Tevin Coleman, utilizing them, where Nick Chubb will be more in that Devontae Freeman role, where he'll, be, he'll get a little bit more of the goal line work, but maybe a little bit less of the receiving work. And in the middle of that will be, you know, it'll be one guy's series, and it'll be the next guy's series. That's what I envision for this team. Now, they could still both be highly, highly productive. They could still both be uh, high-end RB2s, definitely flex plays. But if it's going to be that much of a split between the two, and that's where I'm kind of personally leaning myself, we're not going to have a great idea until training camp actually starts, but that's where I'm leaning myself right now. It's going to be hard for Nick Chubb to really be a top 10 RB1 because it's just that's a lot of work that he'd be losing. You're talking about a situation where he probably wouldn't get more than 220 maybe 230 carries, wouldn't get more than maybe 40 targets on the year. So that's something to kind of keep in mind. I feel like people are kind of putting that to the side. I'm like, Hunt's going to be involved in a significant way. And like I said, until training camp happens, we won't have a concrete idea, but that's the way I'm leaning towards right now how I see Stefanski rolling out this backfield. Now, based off of that, it's going to protect Baker Mayfield. I do think it's going to be a run first team. It's going to protect Baker Mayfield. I think Mayfield is... In a situation where he's going to be able to use, like I talked about, he's going to be able to use his athletic ability a little bit more to make plays, uh, especially throwing the ball down the field, just moving that pocket in general. And I think he's also going to be in a situation where he's going to be protected a little bit more. He's not going to be asked to win games in this system. They didn't, they didn't ask Kirk Cousins to win games, a guy who's been established in the NFL as a above-average starter for a long time now. They didn't ask Kirk Cousins to win games. They're not going to ask Baker Mayfield to win games. And I think in that situation, that's where Baker Mayfield will be able to thrive with a little less pressure on his shoulders, getting back to the basics, getting back to the fundamentals. I, I'm not projecting you know, 4,500 yards for Baker, um, and I don't know if I'm even going to quite project him for 30 touchdowns. It might be more like 27, 28, but I do think it's going to be a solid season. I do think he's going to be somebody who's competing for that top 12, top 15 quarterback position for fantasy football purposes. But more importantly to me than Baker Mayfield and what his fantasy value could be is the fact that if he's able to have that kind of a solid season, 
we can see Odell Beckham come back to being a wide receiver one. Jarvis Landry can maintain his high-end wide receiver two status. Uh, Austin Hooper can still be a lower-tier tight end one. I don't think you're not going to see the production we had out of him in Atlanta a year ago by any means, but he'll still be utilized in the red zone. He'll still be on the field quite a bit. Uh, So you're going to see Austin Hooper in, in that territory as well. So I think it fits a lot of things. I've come around Kevin Stefanski, the idea of him being the head coach. I still have some questions to see exactly how this is all going to play out, but I do believe it's a good fit at the end of the day. Uh, on the defensive side of the ball, just to kind of talk about that real quick, you had, you had they brought in Steve Wilkes, um, and I want to bring that up because I do think Cleveland's defense is going to be fantasy relevant this season. You know, they still have Miles Garrett who's coming back this year. Uh, regardless of what you think about the person now, after all that that happened last year in the Pittsburgh Steelers game, he's a great pass rusher. They have a great secondary. They've added to that defense. So they, when you when you're in a situation that you're a defense, you have a great pass rush and a great and a really young, really good up and coming secondary. You are in a position to possibly have a very good defensive year, especially in today's NFL. They're in that situation, and they hired Steve Wilkes who I've always liked as a defensive coordinator when he's in a situation to be a 4-3 guy. I hated it when he got hired as the head coach of Arizona Cardinals. I knew he was going to be a one-and-done because what they were trying to do and what he's actually good at just didn't match up whatsoever. He matches up with the way this defense is built. He has aggression, especially when he has players like this in place. So I do think that for the Cleveland Browns, I think a lot of sacks, a lot of turnovers are in store for this team. I do think you're talking about a top-10 defense, maybe even higher. We will see. Uh, but I think you, I think you're talking about a defense that should be drafted in redraft leagues for those leagues are still doing with defenses and kickers. They, they should be drafted there. Uh, this is the defense you're going to want. Maybe you want to play them against the Baltimore Ravens and maybe with Ben Roethlisberger, you're not necessarily going to want to play them against the Pittsburgh Steelers, but against the rookie Joe Burrow twice a year. Yeah, absolutely. And most of the other games they're going to be playing this year. Yeah. They're going to be a defense. You're going to want out there. Who's going to have those fantasy playmaking abilities that you're looking for. Steve Wilkes fixed that fits that too. Uh, T. Getting to our last couple of teams here, the big one is the Carolina Panthers, right? We haven't talked about them yet. They've been guys I've been wanting to get to for a while now. Matt Rule, Joe Brady. The combination of these two coming in for Carolina. First of all, love what they did in the offseason from an NFL standpoint. Uh, bring in Robbie Anderson to pair up with DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel. You have a lot of, one, you have a lot of speed on that team. Uh, but two, now you have three receivers. Joe Brady likes to be predominantly a three-receiver base formation team. He's going to be able to do that. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater already has the familiarity with Joe Brady through Sean Payton because that's the chain that he, that's the tree that he comes from. Going to be a lot of similar concepts. And you know, a lot of people have already kind of talked about this issue, and, and it's a good fact to bring up with us being in this situation with this pandemic. We don't know when these when when these coach, when these OTAs are going to be able to open up. We don't even know when training camp exactly is going to be able to open up. And if it's going to be a shortened prep time for these guys before the season gets kicked off to be able to get you know trained up and coached up and in practice and everything like that, getting guys who are already familiar with your system, especially when you're a new coach, I think it could possibly be more important this season than any other season we've seen before. Uh, so that, that's a real thing to me, and that's why I think the Teddy Bridgewater move was great. I don't think Teddy Bridgewater is going to be the guy who lights the world on fire uh, in the Joe Brady system. But I do think he's a guy who can come in. He can throw for 4,000 yards. He could throw for 20 to 25 touchdowns. He's not going to throw for a ton of interceptions. He's smart with the ball. And we might even, he might surprise us. Teddy Bridgewater's situation where he was on his way up before that big critical injury in Minnesota. He was on his way. Everybody was feeling it. He was on the cusp of taking that next step up. And he had, he had to go all the way back down. He's had time now to prepare. He's been able to learn under Drew Brees. He's healthy now. So Teddy Bridgewater is one of those guys where I don't think you can project him or expect him to light the world on fire. But he is somebody who I think is in a situation that could shock us, surprise us. And Matt Rule and Joe Brady are the perfect coaches with their scheme and their philosophies to be able to make something like that happen because they are setting up this team to be in a situation to be a prolific passing type of team. Of course, you have Chris McCaffrey. And look, Chris McCaffrey is so versatile as far as his rushing and passing ability goes. I don't think there's a scheme out there that he couldn't fit. I mean, if you were if you wanted to bring in a Greg Roman, it'd be a predominantly power run scheme. I don't think that would be the best fit, but I he'd still be my RB one 
overall. That wouldn't change there. So there's no fit that's really bad for Christian McCaffrey. And all this does is enforce that he's going to probably have more space. If they go to a three-receiver formation most of the time, it's going to take guys out of the box. You're talking about no more than seven guys out of the box. You're talking about nickel packages and Christian McCaffrey, what he can do with six, seven guys in the box on a normal basis. Yeah, I mean, that's that's going to help him out. And you want an offense that's going to spread it out more? I mean, look look what Sean Payton does with Alvin Kamara. A lot of those concepts are going to be in place for Christian McCaffrey there in Carolina. Uh, so, I mean, not that anybody was disputing McCaffrey as an RB1, but if you wanted to make the argument of why he has a very good chance to repeat because of the new coaching regime coming in, that would be why. That's all kind of there. As far as receivers go, they all fit their roles perfectly. I mean, you know, Robbie Anderson will be there to stretch the field. DJ Moore is still going to be the number one target. He's going to be the chain mover. Curtis Samuel will be that mismatch, the jet sweep, the slot guy. He'll be doing all those things in between. And they all fit their roles perfectly. As far as from a production standpoint, though, and this is where I, I was hurting for Robbie Anderson, because I think Robbie Anderson truly could be a top wide receiver, too, a top end wide receiver, too. Uh, if you were to wind up on a team where he could actually be the featured guy and actually be utilized properly, you know, away from Adam Gase, you go into Carolina, you're going to at best be the second fiddle to DJ Moore, at at best. Um, so I think you're in a situation where he's the guy who I'm still going to want to draft. He's the guy who's still going to be able to win you a week. But his value for me, where last year he was kind of going in drafts between that eighth and tenth round, I don't know if that changed at all for me. Uh, I hope maybe I have more confidence that he'll be able to reach my expectation because he didn't reach that expectation last season. And I was worried about that last year with the Jets that he wouldn't even be able to reach that value. Uh, I do think he'll be able to reach that eight through 10 round value, which is typically you're talking your wide receiver threes, uh, your flex plays in that territory. I do think that somebody that's where he'll be. I think I'm more confident he'll be able to reach that territory uh, this season, but he's not going to be much more than that. I don't believe because DJ Moore is still going to dominate those targets. Here's what I will say. Anderson might be set up as the main red zone threat. He's the tallest receiver. He's pretty quick. He's not a big physical guy, but he is pretty good at going up and getting the ball. So I do think he might actually lead this team in receiving touchdowns as far as the wide receivers go. I hope he's in competition there with Christian McCaffrey from, from that category as well in a given year. But because DJ Moore doesn't have the history before this getting a ton of touchdowns, isn't really a, red, a, a ready-made red zone target to begin with, I don't see him getting any more than six touchdowns this season. So that's going to open up the door for Robbie Anderson to maybe get seven, eight. Who knows? If the offense is really, really successful, maybe nine. Uh, so you can kind of take that into consideration. With DJ Moore, obviously, I love him half-point, full-point PPR leagues, especially because he is going to get you know, 130 targets, most likely somewhere in that area. He is going to get somewhere between 80 and 90 receptions, uh, most at least most likely in that area. Probably will get 1,100 yards as you're talking six touchdowns. So if you're still in standard leagues, uh, DJ Moore is not going to be that high-end wide receiver too that he really is in the half-point, full-point PPR leagues because he should be getting peppered the ball. But this system just helps him get more creative. He's going to get more mismatches. He's going to be able to line up on the inside and outside, I think, more often of the time with Joe Brady as well. They're kind of I, DJ Moore is going to be what he used Justin Jefferson in college for. That's going to be more his role. So he's going to be featured all over the field in that way, and that plays right to his his strength. So I do like, if nothing else, I love DJ Moore's floor. And then depending on how Teddy Bridgewater is, depending on how that offense is able to do in its first season, could really elevate what his ceiling could possibly be. Uh, but still not a guy, like I said, who's going to be getting a lot of touchdowns. I think six is really the max that you can expect out of DJ Moore heading into next season. The person who really kind of gets left out is Curtis Samuel, because you do have Robbie Anderson in there. We talked about DJ Moore. So he's just not going to have enough targets to really be a consistent factor. And even last year, last year was was weird, right? It was poor quarterback play. Coaches are getting fired halfway through the season. But if you do take a look at last year, he had a lot of targets and yet still wasn't able to do a ton with it. And unless he scored a touchdown that week, really wasn't in the starting in your fantasy lineup category of players by the end of the week either. So I don't know how much that changes. Um, while, while, like I said, from an NFL standpoint, he fits this scheme perfectly from a fantasy standpoint, the production that is in store for him, I don't think is on a level that you're going to be starting him on a weekly basis. Now, is he a good depth piece to have possibly? Cause I still think this is going to actually turn into more of a pass first team by the end of the year. Maybe not at first, but by the end of the year, I think that's what we're going to see. Uh, and he's going to have that big playability. So I bye week fill in, um, somebody that, you know, somebody that add as your wide receiver five. I think that's the type of category you're talking about with Curtis Samuel, but nothing more than that with the addition of Robbie Anderson. 
I just want to talk. I want to touch real quick on Ian Thomas. Um, as far as the system fit goes, yeah, you're going from the Saints. I do want to point out, and I kind of talked about this a little bit when they brought Jared Cook in, um, and they all, everybody wants to get excited anytime the Saints have a tight end, and that's the outside of Jimmy Graham, have they really been that successful? I mean, Jared Cook found some success towards the end of last season, and we're talking about that because it's a similar concept coming in here. It's not like Daddy's Moss was lighting the world on fire, but he also wasn't as athletic as Ian Thomas is either. However, we've seen the Ian Thomas train before. We've seen Greg Olson over the past couple of seasons be hurt pretty consistently. Seen Ian Thomas come in, always winds up being like the number one pickup off the waiver wire for a tight end position, and then doesn't really do much. Doesn't really produce. Is an athletic guy, but doesn't really get open that often. Doesn't wind up being that featured in the passing game. I mean, those are those are issues. Those are problems that have consistently gone through through different offensive coordinators. It wasn't just one scheme. Um, and I don't, this, this scheme here is going to be more set up to focus on the three receiver sets and Christian McCaffrey. It's not going to be focused to set up Ian Thomas. So this idea that Ian Thomas is this big sleeper for everybody, I don't see it. We've seen enough of Ian Thomas at this point to kind of get a gauge of what kind of NFL player that he is. He's an athlete, but he's not the guy who is going to be able to get those six to eight touchdowns, who's going to get those you know, seven to 900 yards that you're talking about when you're looking for a tight end one. He's not. I got him at 600 yards and five touchdowns this year, and I think that's pretty solid. Maybe six. I think that's pretty square on to what he's going to be. So I just, we've seen this song and dance before, and I feel like people are waiting for this breakout out of Ian Thomas, and I'm telling you, if he was going to break out, if he was going to show us what he could really be able to do, we would have seen it by now. He hasn't been that productive when Greg Olson's hurt. So, I, yeah, I, I don't understand that. And this system isn't built to, like, feature the tight end more so than he was in than he was before while being in Carolina. So I don't know why all of a sudden in this situation, because Greg Olson's finally gone, he's actually the starter for the full season, why he suddenly gets this big bump up. He's been playing almost half the season anyway over the past two years because of Greg Olson's injuries. So, look, is he somebody who's going to be hovering around that top 12 territory yeah, him and a million other tight ends who happen to score a touchdown that week, though, because that's kind of how it works. So I'm not going to be spending any draft capital. I definitely wouldn't be drafting Ian Thomas until we're talking, you know, between the 14th and 16th round if I just haven't taken a tight end at that point and just want to take somebody who might be in a good offensive situation. Then maybe I'll consider him. But I'm not looking at him as my sleeper guy who I think is going to make that big impact and be a, a weekly starter for me that I think is going to give me advantage at a position that's hard to find an advantage at. He's not that guy to me. He's not somebody who's going to stop you from having to stream at the position throughout the season. He's not. Plain and simple. And this doesn't really change that. Uh, the last thing we talk about, and it's going to take two seconds, is Eric Washington, Buffalo Bills. Uh, they're just they're bringing in more of their guys from the Sean McDermott era in Carolina. They brought in Josh Norman. And Buffalo really might be, and this, this is why I wanted to bring it up, which is Buffalo really might be in a situation that they wind up being a top three fantasy defense this year. I mean, you're not going to be able to run on them. Uh, which, you know, for fantasy purposes, isn't saying much except for if you have a defense that can't be run on, I mean, one, if you have a running back going up against them, something to keep in mind. But two, usually is a defense that doesn't give up a ton of points. Typically, unless you're Tampa Bay and you have a horrible secondary, but they don't. They have White. I think, you know, if Norman does have anything left, this would be the scheme. This would be the place where he would be able to show that he has something left. I think it comes down to that. So this is a defense that I think is going to be able to get a lot of turnovers. They're, they have a great pass. So it's already built up. They know exactly what their culture is going to be. They have a, a, a mindset that they are going to be more physical than the other team, especially from a defense standpoint, and that typically will lead to turnovers. That will lead to sacks, and that's what we're looking for for fantasy purposes, and this is also a defense that I don't think you're going to score more than 17 points on them very often, so you're also in a position where you can get those scoring bonuses a little more often of the time than you would out of some of the other ones. I'm telling you right now, I think the Bills very, very really could be top five, maybe even top three from a fantasy perspective uh, this season. So not so much from an Eric Washington standpoint, what he brings to the table is, as their new defensive coordinator is not really what I'm looking at um, as far as what his big impact is, because we know that Sean McDermott's defense at the end of the day, but just a coaching change that happened. And I kind of want to talk about their defense, something to kind of look out for. Maybe you take them in the 14th round and the 13th round, maybe take them a round or two earlier than you normally would take a defense because of the return that you are possibly in position to get. 
Uh, so that's something just to kind of keep in mind there. That wraps up our coaching changes series. What we have coming down for you guys next week and for the next eight weeks after this, we're going to be kicking off the Team Profile Fantasy Analysis mini series. We did this last year, but this year it's going to be absolutely fantastic. I am getting insiders, beat writers from every single team. We're going to do four teams per episode, so four teams per week. And we're going to have all these guys getting interviewed. Next week is, is our part one. We're going to be talking about the Eagles, talking about the Jets. We're going to talk about the Colts. We're going to talk about the Bucks. We had Dave, Dave Zangaro from NBC, uh, Eagles beat writer. He's going to be on for an interview. We have Greg Allman from the Athletic, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, beat writer, going to be on for an interview. Uh, Andy Vasquez from NorthJersey.com covering the Jets will be on. And we have Kevin Bowen from 107.5, the fan in Indianapolis, to talk about the Colts. And you can always check him out on Kevin Corner's podcast, too. We're going to have all four of those guests next week. It's, it's going to be four separate interviews talking about each team. And I'm going to be asking them questions that we all have for their fantasy-relevant players for their team so we can get a really great grasp on the inside perspective of what's going on inside the organization, how the team themselves are viewing these players, what their plans are. As of now, obviously, this is still, still early, but giving us an indication heading into the season what the ideas are now to give us a great a great comprehension of what we can expect out of each of these players in the concept of their team construction. And then we can be able to project out on what that's going to mean for fantasy football purposes. So I'm very excited for this, very excited for the opportunity, very excited these these guys agreed to come on the show and graces with the presence. So that's going to be starting next week with that episode. Uh, that'll be the team profile fantasy analysis series part one. So remember next Friday, same time, same place. We'll be here streaming it on video on Sportscaster, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and then we'll also be available on every single one of your podcast apps as well. So you're definitely not going to want to miss this. It's going to be a great opportunity for you guys to get all the information that on all to an answer to all the questions that you have been looking for. So I'm very, very excited to get that kicked off the ground. Uh, that's going to wrap it up for today's show. Make sure you're checking us out on Twitter at MDSFF show. Follow us along for those player news update notifications. Making sure you're checking us out on Facebook and make sure you're checking out bellyupfantasysports.com. A lot of great articles over there. You can always watch any of my video episodes over there uh, and, and just, just go ahead and check that out. I'm covering all fantasy sports all the time. And we're definitely going to make sure we have you ready to go for your seasons and hoping that the season starts uh, on time. Everybody stay safe, take care, and I'll see you guys all really, really soon. Thank you for listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 